your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot-boosted shills and self-appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview, live stream, and podcast. The Goslings, a dark-lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers. A super chat of radical truth-seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast. Topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end. Ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock. Guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind. And interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to The Goslings. For anybody who may be wondering, uh, we're especially privileged today because Diana, to the best of my knowledge, I think this may be the first time that uh, we've gotten you in an interview. I think so. I think this is kind of a Goslings exclusive uh, that you've been so gracious. It is a social media exclusive. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, awesome. And Diana, you you have been Steve's girlfriend for a long time, and you are kind of his right hand in this whole war of publishing, it seems like. Uh, you are such an asset. It's awesome. Yeah. She's the queen. <laughs> yeah. He's the king. <laughs> <laughs> what, what he says is, he's the king and I'm everything else, which means janitor, <laughs> court jester. You're the rest <laughs> of the chessboard. I water you know. the yeah. lawn, yeah. you know, all of that kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> it's the washing machine. So, yeah. <laughs> Just write the books. You know, that's exactly. how, that's how uh, our dad and yeah. my mom was. Yeah. Dad worked his ass off all day 10 12 hours a day at a piano writing charts or making music in the studio and then mom pretty much ran the show from the bills to the laundry to getting us to school and you know she ran the business and and the business yeah she did his she did his scheduling and yeah dealt with the uh dealt with the the publishing company yeah it's a great setup that like it really does work for a lot of people you know and Man, you can you can cover a lot of ground. She can, can make the a lot deals of too. Like she was she was scarier than he was. She can make the deals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She could play bad cop really well, and yeah. and somebody had to because if it weren't for her, dad would have had a new Jaguar and a boat every year, and they all would be repossessed. So <laughs> somebody's gotta that's you know true. keep them in you know in the lane. So yeah. Anyways, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Um, yeah, I have a question actually because you're doing you're using both uh, printing uh, you're using both printing platforms Ingram and KDP. Well, and, and also, to jump in with government cheese, yeah. we also used a traditional offset printer, so we actually worked with three different printers wow. for government cheese. Yeah, oh, so wow. that was yet another kind of peg in the in the wall. That is fantastic. Whole layer. Wow. Do uh on. In in Ingram Spark, you can have a dust jacket on your hardcover book. Uh, you can't do that in KDP, as you said. Right. But do you still have a hardcover version on KDP, or is or is it just um, paperback? Or not, how are you doing that? Not yet, because well, yeah, we do. It's on KDP, and when somebody buys it, it comes from Ingram Spark. Oh, okay. They send it to Ingram Spark for the printing. Oh, yes. interesting. I see. So that's okay. how also you can do a workaround to have pre-orders on KDP. Is you can have the book ready on Ingram Spark, you can yeah. have a drop date that's later, so you can do a thirty day. How is it selling? Have it listed on KDP, and they'll do pre orders that come from Ingram Spark because KDP doesn't allow for pre orders. So it's kind of a workaround to be able mm-hmm. to get your book on Amazon for pre ordering. Oh, smart. Without having to put it out before you want to, so you can at least get a little bit of a read on. Um, what the response might be, that kind awesome. of thing. Yeah. yeah, man, that is fantastic. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I've uh, been too apprehensive to try to use Ingram Spark, and I've only written, you know, middle grade books. They don't have to have dust jackets or anything like that. But I really do want to create, uh, in addition to an amazing story, I also want it to be an amazing product. Mm-hmm. And I know that I can get that with Ingram Spark or other printers. I've just been apprehensive to jump in and learn all that as, as of yet. So this has been really helpful actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for Diana and Steve, uh, just what were some of the tribulations and trials and like real roadblocks, if any, that you guys encountered, you know, transitioning over? Cause it seems like you guys were already doing 
so much of the marketing and promotional stuff already was it just like the back of house technical stuff like getting the covers right and everything or were there any roadblocks that surprised you going with the self-publishing route you want to answer that (laughs) i mean i guess for for me and probably for both of us we had to establish a a presence on social media Mm. uh you know get followers on instagram type of thing or you know um established relationships with podcasters so that you could go out on, you know, the, the trail, which is sort of the equivalent of going on TV shows in the old days, like to be on the tonight show or something. So that was, um, is an ongoing thing that I think any, any writer has to do these days. And for me, that was my, the, the most part of what I did was Diana was handling the, technical aspects of it you know and how to actually get the book on amazon and all that sort of stuff why don't you answer the, right, well, the rest of that there was initially <laughs> dave didn't when we first started like social media stuff he didn't want to do any podcasts he was <laughs> i'm with you yeah because really, i was like oh you need to do podcasts he's like i'm not doing any pot you know and, uh, <laughs> and, and so i think part of it sorry and i mean it's the two of you, it sounds like, have a similar relationship. Is one pushing the other outside their comfort zone? Yes, you know yep. that that both of us <laughs> had to yep. kind of step outside of. My background is in design, so from a design point of view, that part was easy. But having to learn all of the other parts and deal with the printers and get on the phone with KDP when something mm-hmm. wasn't working or try to get somebody on the phone at ingram park and um, we set up a store this time so that we could sell the signed books directly which was a whole other mountain we're still climbing yeah um, <laughs> but I, I think some of the things that i know from my background because i worked in fashion for 30 years is we really had to set up a production calendar and kind of know when especially working with outside printers it's a three-month lead time like they need the manuscript to cover everything like six to eight weeks ahead of time at least to and then we had delays for with weather with shipping with oh yeah like we ran into things that are just unexpected Mm -hmm. and never mind the pandemic about that well i'm not so sure overall sorry nick that no no uh, you're fine that uh, it was worth all of the effort. I'm not so sure. I I hope it is. I think the verdict's it, not in yet. I think it's sort of front loaded. This process, I think, is front loaded in terms it of is. you do all the work up front, and then once you've got that established, we hope mm-hmm. the machine will run a little more smoothly for the rest of the way. But it's certainly been really, really hard. And like Diana's done, incredible amounts of you know um, sending out five the box that you have. In front of you, Jonathan. Yes, you know yeah. she did like 500. We've got 300 more packed by hand, mailed. Yes. You know we have to drive to UPS and mail these damn things. Mm-hmm. It's been massive amounts of work. Those boxes all come in flat. So I got oh wow. Of them shipped to me. They have to get folded. <laughs> had to fold together. every one of them. Yeah. Oh, the parts get put in envelopes. Everything. So it's a lot of handwork, <laughs> and then packing everything, mailing everything. Yeah. Everything labels all of that not that everybody else that would publish a book would want to do anything like this this is just something that we did because we thought it would uh you know be a surprise and increased value it was overwhelming when i opened yeah my box and they had you had the 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 log book in there Mm -hmm. you had the, the the personalized card you had the bookmark and and then the book itself uh it was just it it's was, it was del- yeah it was delightful to open it up it as, really is yeah, yeah and then uh couldn't wait to jump into the book of course which well, i did but i was too afraid to make any notes which is why i have the lock book <laughs> uh, yeah smart move yeah see yeah, me a- i'm like this is holy relic i'm not even gonna touch <laughs> and i have another one that i write in and this is gonna be diana you did an amazing job packaging this yeah. like yeah. i was so blown away when i opened this up we're gonna do a little unboxing First of all, I open it up and there's the crinkly cardboard. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Like 
Steve was a truck driver, you know, like I get it. This is like packing material from a truck. Like this is cool. And then specialized, put your ass where your heart wants to be card. You know, Everybody that I doesn't get those. You guys just so you know, no, know. no that I so. <laughs> gotcha. And then here's the driver's logbook that, uh, that Nick was talking about. Yep. And, um, man, again, it's beautiful. Who, um, did you guys get, um, did you guys go through Amazon KDP to make these as well? Or I did, did you all of those through Ingram Spark? This and was I through did Ingram Spark. Just because my background's in design. So yeah. I did that. And then we did it through Ingram Spark because you can order as many as you want at an author price. And yeah. Oh, and, nice. and, uh, you can get a, you can get these dimensions, I think, through Ingram. Whereas yeah. I don't think you can get yeah. this something this small through, uh, probably KDP. not. Yeah. That's true. I don't think that, yeah. I don't think Kim, Amazon KDP offers something that small. And then the, the Mo magnet. Mo. <laughs> little Mo magnet. I love this. And then the thank you letter or the thank you card with Mo on the cover or a facsimile of Mo. Uh huh. And, and actually um, the redheaded cat. But to give credit uh, where sorry. credit is due, yes. Our friend Jack Carr, the thriller writer of yeah. the Journalist yeah. and all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. We kind of learned this from him when he did um, Savage time. Sun, which yeah. I guess was his third or fourth book. He put out a kind of a VIP package like this that he just sent for free and for fun to people that were kind of close to him and that had helped him along the way. Oh, cool. And when we opened our thing from him, we were blown away too. You know, it had a book and various little coasters and magnets and this and that and the mm. other. And we just said, we got to steal this idea. This is too good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, well, uh, credit um, to Jack Carver on that one. Yeah. What was it that uh, Lawrence of Olivier was quoted as saying in, um, in Government Cheese, uh, great artist or uh, mediocre artist steal, great artist steal and make better, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> which is a maxim I live by <laughs> as a writer like every day. You know, there's not a day that goes by that my crypt amnesia doesn't slip in and, you know, insert something from some movie I saw 30 years ago, you know, which yeah. may have been one that you helped write, Steve. Uh, who Good knows? Day. That's you know. why I'm your uncle. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You are. You are the best uncle. Let me tell you. Um, no, Diana, I just want you to know, like, all of your sweat equity that you put into these first editions, you and Steve both, uh, it is totally paying off as far as what I see. Like, these things are beautiful. And they're still available. People can still order them through your website, correct? Yes. Correct. And, um, yeah, and everybody should – there's only going to be so many of these. You guys made, what, 500? Is that right? Well, we have we have three hundred more, but we had two different. We had them print them. They had to print at separate times. So we have three hundred okay. more that nice. we're going to get this week. So we'll awesome. have an additional. Well, more than half of those are already gone. So yeah. there aren't many left. Well, Maybe by the time left, any that's it. By the time anybody watches this, there might not be any left. So <laughs> if you're watching this and you want one, you better jump over to that website and order one while you can. And for what it's worth, if I lived down the road, I'd come over and fold every one of those boxes. <laughs> I'd just volunteer to come over and do it. Because that would just be really cool. Uh, like, what do you think of that? What do you think of that package you got the from 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 Pressfield, the government cheese? Box. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Great packages. I folded the boxes myself. <laughs> I followed the lines. You know? <laughs> that I can do. <laughs> uh, well, I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to talk about. Uh, I'd like to talk about government cheese. I'd like to ask you some questions okay. about it. Um, I did you? I know you had some questions too. I did, and you know what, um, Diana, are you going to stick around for the government cheese portion? Are you? Cool. cool. Okay. Cool. I tell you what. Um, I wanted to ask. Uh, for the Amazon KDP thing, just one last question sure. for that. Um, for anybody who may be watching, uh, we have a lot of friends who are writers or who want to be writers for anyone who may be watching Diana, you guys have been so successful with this in such a short amount of time. What is some advice you would maybe give anybody who is looking to jump into this side of things, either coming from a writing world or just fresh off the street? If any, I mean, I, I, I think from I'm like a lifelong learner so for me to sit down and I've worked in Photoshop for 30 years doing design work yeah. so a lot of it was applying things I knew to a new technical aspect output as opposed to but I think is like finding someone if, if you if that's not you 
finding someone who can do a good book interior for you, you know, because you're, you're putting all this time and money into something and you want to be really proud about what you're handing off to someone. Um, yeah. I think Steve and I are lucky because we work together. So it's easy for me. We, you know, I'd bring in fonts and I'd be like, do you like this font? Do you like this color? Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I think yeah. it's to be patient because there's so many little things that come up that you don't expect or you yeah. don't know to expect. Yeah. And I mean, I had to do the cover on this book. I had to do it over like three times. And I sent one thing into Ingram Spark and we got it back and I'd forgotten to put the the type on the spine. Yeah. So I got, we got like 40 or 50 <laughs> pre-orders and people got no type on the spine, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. And, yeah. and so yeah. I think just to be patient and there is a lot of information out there. Um, mm. There are people out there too, like Maria, what's Maria's last name? Galliano. Maria Galliano. She's great if somebody really doesn't know, have any idea what they're doing. She, I mean, it, it's, I don't, I even think it's a really reasonable price. She's a great person to walk you through and help you um, with that kind of thing. We work with a really good person. I didn't want to learn how to lay out ebooks. So we found a good person mm -hmm. through her to yeah. do the ebook layouts <clears throat> for us because those are also, and this next one's going to be different again because it has illustrations in it. Oh, really? Things aren't oh, going to be able to just flow the way an ebook normally does. It's really going to have to line up. So, oh, yeah. Another new thing to learn. But, uh, yeah. And is she somebody that people can reach out to to hire or is she booked out? That's a good forever? question. I don't know if we want to <laughs> put her on. I know. Let us listen. We'll talk to her and then maybe yeah, people could write into you guys and see if yeah, cool with it. Then we can, Absolutely. Can see it. Without Maria, we'd have been nowhere. She yeah, she it. helped us walk she walked us through step by step and really helped us, you know. And I mean that is what that is what she does. She does that as a consultant. So, yeah. Um, you know it's beautiful. I, it's just can oh, I jump ahead, in Steve. with a couple yeah. things here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, Steve. Of course. <laughs> no, I would. I would say that maybe in in uh, in my case, in the sense of books being written by me, yeah, that I have a I have an advantage over probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now. In that, you know, I've been around for twenty plus years and and have a certain you know uh, visibility out there, you know, in the in the publishing world. Whereas if somebody that's kind of coming from you know a baseline of zero or near zero it's a it might be a little harder to get on podcasts and to you know get the word out to 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 enough people so i'm not sure that what worked for us might not work for everybody mm -hmm. oh yeah um, the other thing i would say on the as a positive is that uh if you do want to publish your own stuff there are lots of freelance people that can that can help along the way, and you you will need them. Like for instance, if you were getting published by a mainstream publisher by Rand, Penguin Random House, right? They would have an interior designer for the book. They'd have a cover designer for the book. They'd have all kinds of people that uh, that knew how to do. A, you know, they would sell the uh, audio book to a to a company. They would have people who knew eBooks. You, the writer, wouldn't have to worry about this at all. So now if you're doing it yourself, you got to do that yourself somehow. But the good news is there are freelance editors. There are freelance ebook designers. Yeah. There, and you can just Google them, you know. And you, you do have to sort of put together a little bit of a team. You know, one person might be in Idaho. Another person might be in Florida, you know. Your ebook person might be, you know, in Minnesota. Yep. So you do have to sort of be a project manager yourself yeah. and coordinate all this stuff. But it can be done even if you yourself don't have the the expertise to do it. You can find people and pay them and they will they'll do their share of the of the thing. I'm gonna but add, it's a lot of work. I'm gonna add one thing to that is that vet them well. Yes. Look at what they've done. <laughs> Look yes. at what they've done for other people and see if you like it because because things are so available. There are a lot of people who like have a template 
and we'll put everybody's thing in one template. They'll give you a choice of two fonts and that may be fine for some things, but, but vet the people well yeah. and um, don't be afraid to move on to the next person and don't just accept the first person that comes along because like a lot of things, I think there, there's access to a lot of information. It doesn't mean that everybody's good at it. So <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, true, true. You know? Let me say I, got... one, I have one other thing to say. <laughs> yeah. For those who are thinking about this is there also are outfits out there like Scribe, Tucker mm -hmm. Max's company mm -hmm. that have another alternative, which is basically for about 30 grand, <laughs> they will do everything for you. Um, they'll provide an editor for your book. If you've never done it before, they'll design the interior, design the exterior, They'll even supposedly do marketing. I think that's probably fairly yeah. bogus because yeah. you've got to do your own marketing. But they will sort of take you from soup to nuts. And in fact, David Goggins' book, His first Can't, book. Can't Hurt Me, was done that way. Okay. And that sold a gazillion copies. Yeah. Um, so it can be done. Of course, there are a lot of people that do it that way. And, you know, they sell copies to, to their family and that's about it. But again, that comes down to marketing which is again on the, on the author. Uncle Steve, uh, we have a question from one of our patrons yeah. that I think we'd uh, like to get to. And uh, Nick had it written down and it comes from Shannon. Yeah. Uh, Shannon asked if you'd ever, uh, has a book ever moved you to tears? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, uh, this will sound silly, but some of my own have moved me to tears while i'm writing them yep um do you guys dang have it that experience that know? was going to be my follow-up question to you uh, <laughs> yeah very economical <laughs> i mean certainly many books have moved me very close to tears i don't know if i've actually wept or anything but yeah definitely books are very <clears throat> moving yeah what are uh what's one of the moments from one of your own works that uh that when you were writing it it was just like man this is this is skirting between artifice and true uh, emotional reality. You know, I, I can't remember anything specific, Jonathan, but like, okay. it's usually moments when you, a scene where you're really going for it, you know, yeah. you're really trying to create a, an emotional moment. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works and, and you, yeah. you do, despite yourself, you feel like, oh, wow, that's really hit the bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> Diana, do you have any... Uh any moments from any of Steve's books off the top of your head that I've put you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to think, I think in uh, gates of fire, yeah. you know, there are a couple of places that I found really emotional. Um, and I think a lot of other people have too. We, there, there's so many people that write in, that have used things from Gates of Fire for their oh, wedding yeah. vows, that have used things yeah. for, one guy had an entire metal work of a quote from Gates of Fire made for his living room wall. So I, I and, think- And that did they send me any money? Did they send me a dollar? <laughs> Not a dime, <laughs> no. <Nope>. Jeez, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What kind of what kind of fans are these? Yeah. I mean, it's geez. amazing how many people have used, especially about when um, Leonides is talking about why he chose the three hundred. Yeah. That when he's mm. talking about the women, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who have used that. Men who have used that as their wedding vows for why they've chosen oh, this woman. That's good. You know? That moment uh, when Ari, I think it's Ariti, brings yeah. Dainiki's um his bastard son so that he can go with leonidas that is my favorite moment because inherently it's a shame for her and her reputation she's sacrificing her reputation in a way to allow and her husband and the father of her children to allow him to go to do this thing ah, it's, it gets yeah. me every time yeah it's wow. just it's super powerful and uh there are moments in all of those I can make a list, yeah. Steve. So. <laughs> I got another quick question for you. Uh, and this one's going to be something that I think might be exclusive to the patrons. And I'll make it really quick. So you wrote for almost 30 years before your first uh, before your first book was published, right? Government Cheese tells the story of that journey, the work, the self-discovery, the mentors, the struggle, the sacrifice. What are your thoughts now about AI being able to write a story 
and then someone else just slapped their name on it and called themselves an author. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, so can you say that? Say that one more time, Nick. I'm yeah. not sure I quite understood. Yeah. So it takes a it took a long, long time to really get to a level of proficiency. Where oh, you I, think can, I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay. But now AI can instantly create a story, and uh, someone yeah. can call themselves an author because they wrote a book. Yeah. What's your opinion uh, on that? Even without emergence? AI, there are a lot of people who kind of bang out something and put their name on it, and it is and it is a book. And God bless them. It's hard to write a book. Um, but I'm actually reading a book by Robert Greene now. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this called oh, Mastery. Yes. Where he basically talks about the long road that everybody takes. If you're a musician, if you're whatever it is, to uh, and he talks about a period of apprenticeship that people go through that might last, you know, 10 or 15 years, you know, where you learn from somebody. And uh, it does seem, you know, my book, Government Cheese, but unknowingly, it's almost like a, the, the, the living example of what he's talking about in the book, Mastery, that it just takes a long, long time. And there are mentors and you serve an apprenticeship and then you kind of break out of the apprenticeship and et cetera, et cetera, before you finally reach a point where you're actually, a professional at something and he can really deliver the goods at, at that level yeah. but it just takes a long long time and today a lot of people want immediate hacks that'll get them through to it and of course a lot of people do succeed overnight you know so that in a way is a really bad thing because it encourages other people to think they can do it too well you guys know how hard it is you know oh, yeah. it's a long trail yeah yeah, it One really of the things is. I say is that if you were going to be a concert pianist, if you were going to set out to do that or to be a brain surgeon, mm -hmm. you would expect that you have to put in 15 or 20 years, right? But yeah. People think, well, I'll be a writer. And I thought this too when I started. I thought, <laughs> oh, it's a piece of cake. You know, I know how to write, you know? <laughs> Not true. Steve, at the gym, there's a guy who goes to the same gym. His name is Mike O'Hearn. He's Mr. Uniform, former Mr. Universe. He's going to be in two movies and he, one was released at Sundance and we were talking at the gym one morning and he said, yeah, somebody said, oh, I never knew you wanted to be an actor. And he's like, I've been working at this for like 22 years, you know, <laughs> so just because somebody doesn't know you haven't been doing all that work. Oh, that yeah. That you haven't been doing all that work and he's yeah. like you know nobody knows the work that goes into getting to that point where yeah yeah your book gets made into a movie or you get mm -hmm. you get the job of your dreams whatever it is no and a lot of people don't talk about it yeah yeah and kind of related to that work that you have to put in uh, one of my favorite parts in government cheese is when you mention at the end of one of the one of the sections uh you said that you had an idea for a book, and it was a book about golf. It was one of my favorite moments. And uh, in the next chapter, the opening of the next book, you're talking about how uh, after your seventh revision of Backer Vance, The Legend of Backer Vance, mm -hmm. you were ready to, to hand it. How did you know the seventh uh, – how did you know that revision was the final one? Like how did you know uh, it, it had that's reached? That's a great question, Nick. Yeah. I mean, normally I do now like 15 drafts, I would say, something like that. Wow. Um, and I think you you do know finally, you know, when something's ready to go. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. But also, be it said with Bag of France, I still had to do a bunch more after that, you know, <laughs> for the for the editorial process and stuff like that. But you uh, you do know finally when you've polished the car enough and it's really shining and you don't want to can't keep polishing it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's so perfect. You just don't want to touch it. Well, at a certain yeah, point, you start thing to... about that, the, the sort of the lesson about that, that I never realized, I thought, Oh, I'll write something once. Maybe I'll revise it two times and it's ready. And no way. That's just not even remotely true. You know, yeah. the, the, but it's a great, the power of multiple drafts is that you can screw up the first eight of them. <laughs> and get it together on the ninth one so the great yeah. thing about writing is that the work stands still right it sits there yeah. you've got it in a file and you can attack it again mm -hmm. it's not like an athletic performance where once it's done it's done yeah awesome <laughs> and it's dormant 
and it's not hurting anything yeah. to just sit there, you yeah. know? And um, how heavy do you get with your revisions? Like when you go back and tackle it again, is it making a tweak here, changing a character name here, or is it, I got to take this whole first act and throw it in the garbage and completely redo the whole thing. <clears throat> I think, I think, uh, I'm sure it's the same for you guys. I think on the early drafts you do draft number two, draft number three, you do throw a lot of stuff out and cut mm -hmm. a lot of stuff and change things around and, something that was at the end you move it to the beginning that kind of thing but mm -hmm. by the like ninth or tenth draft you're really getting down to kind of the fine strokes you know a few changes yeah. here and there um, yeah but yeah i love how you open the book uh, i love that you first of all mention your typewriter it starts off mentioning the typewriter and because uh, i we love typewriters as you can tell yes. you know i'm just really into them uh the typewriter in the beginning of the book that's in the back of the van, shoved under the mattress that's up on the on the crates in the back of the van, is that the same royal typewriter that's behind you? It's actually not. The other one is in storage, but this is sort of a uh, you know a stand-in for it. Basically, okay. the same thing. Okay, nice. Okay, so I was going to say that that one in the background looks like it looks pretty, and I wasn't envisioning <laughs> a pretty typewriter. <laughs> it's funny how the typewriter you know uh, remained in storage in your van. You know, in sort of, uh, you know, an, uh, a not dishonorable, but just sort of regulated to a back corner somewhere. And now it's in storage again, but for like much more sacrosanct purposes yes. in yes. a way, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's weird know. how in real life, like if you had been writing this story, the government cheese as a piece of fiction, and mm -hmm. it's about a, a writer learning to, to kind of confront his is calling and stop being afraid of it and actually doing it. Yes. You might create a symbol and give that character a typewriter and throw it in the back of a van uh -huh. where he never touches it. But in fact, that was absolutely true in real life. Yeah. So it's kind of odd, I guess, life, you know. <laughs> but you know, in the story, what would end up happening is like the last scene of the story in the movie would be the writer pulling yeah, out the dusty right. typewriter and hammering yeah, on the keys yeah. and tears start streaming down his <laughs> face. And, you know, John Williams comes in and <laughs> cut to cut to black, you know, but, yeah. but that's not reality. Reality. Why didn't is... I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be for the movie, you know, yeah. when, yeah. When Robert Redford buys the movie yeah. rights. <laughs> um, so this, this, this is a beautiful 30 year memoir. And uh, one thing I love so much about it, one of my favorite, you know, I love redemption stories, but I love rags to riches stories. And this was really striking that particular nerve to me because this is something that you lived. And uh, like every rags to riches story, there are mentors that come along mm -hmm. and help the hero of the story. If you could, if you could go back and spend some time and talk and see again one of those mentors or any of any of the people who would it be oh, it's a great question Nick. i knew this was going to be a great question it's, i don't <laughs> it's sort of hard to answer because the people that are listening to us today don't know who these characters were in the book but uh, there was one really wonderful mentor of mine named paul rink who was a, a writer that i used to have breakfast with every morning in his camper uh and we would, he would just, he gave me books to read. You know, you must read Dostoevsky. You must read Tolstoy. You must read Stendhal, et cetera, et cetera. And who also sort of uh, inculcated a real sort of hardcore writer's ethic in me, you know, and told me, you can't just be fucking around. I don't want to see you, you know, sloughing off or taking the easy route, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it sort of also inculcated the, the idea that writing was a worthy venture that it wasn't just a pursuit of some ego satisfaction. Yeah. So I, I, he died um, probably 30 years ago or something like that. And I, mm -hmm. I, I miss him. I'd love to talk to him. So that, that's, he's, but I, thinking back on it, I'd love to talk to all of them uh, that, oh, I'm uh, sure. along the way. Yeah. Is there anyone that you would choose not to see again? Um, no, I'm, I wish okay. I could see everybody again. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> And, uh, well, and speaking of time travel, I was reading the first, the first probably hundred pages of government cheese. And, you know, just, first of all, your story makes me feel solidarity because there's so much of, 
you know, moving from one job to another and things not working. And that's, I mean, I identify with that so much. And that's why I love put your ass where your heart wants to be. You're, you know, one of your motivational creative books, because that really is like, that's the saving grace of, of a writer is you've got to like, you need a paycheck, but you've got to put your ass where your heart wants to be and write the damn thing. You know, and I think about when I'm reading this in the first act and there's that first portion of you, you know, 1970, things are not going well. And I wish I could go back in time and just find 1970 Stephen Pressfield and be like, it's going to be okay. You have no idea how awesome (laughs) things are going to be, you know. And but like my question is, if you did that. Would that change the narrative? Would that create a back to the future alternate history where did you need all of those experiences along the way? Or, you know, would you have wanted a guardian angel to come along? That's uh, that's a great question, Jonathan. I think you're right. If somebody had told me it was going to be okay, that would be bad. (laughs) Right. I think think you really need in those moments to feel it's that it's life and death, which it is. It is. And that, uh, you know, you're one inch away from going under, <laughs> which yeah. you are. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind of my question, too. I mean, if you could go back to the truck yard, Burton. Yeah. In North Carolina, if you could go back and tell young Steve, like, just two things, not be the guardian angel, not tell him everything's going to be OK, but you could just tell him two things to kind of prepare him for the long journey <laughs> he's about to go through. What would they be? I think I wouldn't have told him anything, Nick. I would have just let him, you know, <laughs> marinate in his own juices. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that is what you need a lot of times as a writer. And I'll tell you, it's so funny. I had not touched my typewriter in probably eight months until I started reading Government Cheese. And then I busted it out two weeks ago, <laughs> started typing on it. And I wanted to ask you about this. I have started doing an experiment where the tone and the voice when I use a typewriter is different than when I use my laptop. Ah. And I've started employing that to change my character ah, perspective. Very interesting. You know, and so uh-huh. uh and it's been a great device. And like many things, I have you to thank for that because again, I would not be doing it if it weren't for government cheese. Um, do you ever go back? to the typewriter or do you ever no yeah. <laughs> you're probably sick of it <laughs> you're sick of it. i don't think i have the strength of my pinky anymore oh like man no kidding right longhand sometimes right yeah and I, I, and i don't know if this is how you feel i can type really fast mm-hmm. you know yeah but it makes my thoughts go too fast in, yes in a way and when you're when i'm writing I have to slow my thoughts down and actually write them out. And yeah. I don't forget about them. It's so easy to type things. And, mm-hmm. and but when I'm writing things by hand, mm-hmm. I have to slow everything down. It's not just that the writing gets slower, but my brain slows down too. And I actually, you kind of think about, oh, and this happens. And then, oh yeah, this could possibly happen. But otherwise, you're just writing thoughts down, I think, and not connecting them always necessarily, you know. Mm. So I like (laughs) to sit and write by hand. I like that. Yeah. That is a great observation uh, because I type decently fast, not as fast as Jonathan, but I type pretty fast. Um, But when I move it over to a typewriter, it has that same effect on me where it does force me to slow way down. And I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe it's just there's more movement. It's mechanical. The keys have to go way down and there's the striking motion. And I have to, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm trying not to think about like spelling errors and all those things. But as I'm getting out each word, it's slower. It gives you time to think right. about what you're actually typing. That's a that's great. And thank you for sharing well, when that. You're actually putting something on paper, which I think that physical act is also important important for embedding something in your kind of muscle memory um it does build neural pathways tangibly putting something on paper where a screen we do so much on screens that you know we order pizza make hotel reservations (laughs) i think sometimes doing things on the computer you forget that you're actually embedding something in something yeah 
and at the stroke of a key, all of your work can just vanish. Yeah, that's it, doesn't, true. it doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, unlike a typewriter where you have something in your hand, I don't know, which is a small thing, but it, there is there is a little satisfaction in that. Right? Look at this thing that I created that I can't just make disappear instantly. Well, they did. Um, they did psychological studies on the link between memory retention and handwriting, yeah. um, especially in regards to education and students. And there is a proven correlation between retention and physically writing something, yeah. um, uh, which is, and it even translates to the typewriter. Um, David Sedaris, the famous comedy writer uh, in Me Talk Pretty One Day, talks about that, the differences between the two. And he um, he says, you know, Unlike the faint scurry of fingertips on a keyboard, the clatter of a typewriter suggests that you're actually building something. Uh, and the worst case scenario, he goes on to say, like, the worst case scenario is at the end of the day, even if I failed, I can look at the waste paper basket full of crumpled up attempts and know that, well, at least I took down a couple trees with me. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, so there is something about it, you know? Um, man, how much time do we have with you guys? I know we're we're kind of pushing. Um, Let's say fifteen minutes. Fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. One more question. Uh, for me, uh, the the periods. The it seems like there were different phases that you went through, occupational phases and mentor phases. And I know that everything. It wasn't exactly in chronological order. There was some going back and forth. Uh, but when you when you look at those mentor phases, and they were all great, but if you could go back and relive one and try to get a little more from that particular mentor, who mm. who would it be? Which one would it be? Oh, that's another great question. I mean, you're, you're delving into the past here, Nick. <laughs> it's great. Um, I, was just, I was fascinated by this book. Great memoir. Um, well, that's a great question. Uh, one of the, the the mentors in the story was a guy uh, who I called John from Seattle because I never knew his last name. And this was uh, when I was, you know, picking fruit in Washington State. Yeah. And he was, uh, everybody that was in the bunkhouses in this migrant, migrant labor type of scenario were all, you know, fruit tramps, guys that like rode the rails type of thing. And, and they were basically all wino alcoholics type of guys. Mm -hmm. And... John was one of those guys, but he was like a, he was the fastest picker out mm -hmm. of, you know, hundreds of people. And he was also a Marine or former Marine who had been at the Chosin Reservoir in yeah. Korea. And I don't know if anybody knows about that, these young people today, but uh, that was where the uh, a Marine regiment was surrounded by the Chinese Ninth Army in temperatures that got to 40 below zero where when the Marines yeah. were carrying their dead comrades and loading them on trucks, they sometimes had to break the frozen arms off them to get them onto the, to the trucks. And he mm. was there. So that to me, he never talked about it. Uh, in the story, I asked him, what was it like? Which was like the dumbest question you get asked. <laughs> and he just said, cold, you yeah. know? Mm. And I said uh, in the book, I said, you know, if he had said anything else, I wouldn't have believed him. <laughs> but I would have loved to have known his story. He never really told mm. me his story. I would have loved to ask him, you know, why, how did you get to be living in a single room occupancy hotel? And what is the drinking all about? And why are you so good at this? And he, he also had a great, just a great ethic, a work ethic that like uh, the big thing in that bunkhouse scenario was was quitting people couldn't last the whole season and there's a phrase i talk about pulling the pin meant mm -hmm. when you left you know coming from the railroad you know when you just decouple a car you pull a pin out and he was the guy that just wouldn't let me quit much as i wanted to and <laughs> and i never really knew why you know what was he what did he see in me what did what was his backstory why was he so you know, such a pro, but yet he was, you know, the rest of the year, he was basically a guy that would drink himself to sleep each night. Yeah. So I wish I could, I wish I could have interrogated him. I, I'd be amazed if he was still alive now, but it would be, it would be great if I got a postcard, you know, and saying, Hey, that was me. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, 
I'll say, I think it was our second or third interview with you, Uncle Steve, where I asked if I could write your biography and you leaned into the camera and you said, no. <laughs> and I'm so glad that, uh, <laughs> that you know, we're here now with your autobiography, your memoir, Government Cheese, as opposed to letting my dumbass try to write it. Um, <laughs> what motivated you to finally do this, to make Government um, Cheese? This lady right here. Nice. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should even let you answer that question there, honey. Yeah, Diana. I mean, he would tell me stories all the time. And I would say, you have to write this stuff down. Mm -hmm. like, because nobody cares about it. And I said, uh, yes, they do. People want, you know, like people want to know that it's, it's, it's not too late. Yeah. That just because you're doing driving a truck right now doesn't mean you can't produce a film one day or doesn't mm -hmm. mean you can't own your business or open a restaurant. And I think that, that I think people can't get enough of that, especially in this social media world where we see these, what seems like immediate success, the word of success and what success is has been yeah. diluted so much. I yeah. think it's for young people especially or for anybody actually you know i mean yeah and so we were in nashville and steve was doing a talking thing and i said tell him the gorilla story tell him the gorilla story he's like nobody <laughs> wants to hear that story and so it was constantly and i said you have to write this stuff down and have and and so finally i broke him <laughs> <laughs> finally i broke him and he's like okay yes. i'll start writing it down <laughs> but, but yeah i think that I don't think these kinds of stories ever get old and I don't quite honestly think there are enough of them around at the moment um, yeah. that that people can really relate to and see themselves and you know I don't think there are a lot of people yeah. who are truck drivers who want to write a novel who see somebody else who's done that or mm -hmm. talks about it. I think there may be a lot of people but they don't necessarily talk about it. So yeah. I am um, I thought it was yeah. important. Well, we appreciate you opening up about this this time in your life, and we appreciate you, Diana, for yeah getting him to do it. Yeah, it's. And I'll uh, say one thing for us, our aspiring writers that are listening to this. Yeah. You know, uh, for the first probably even six or nine months when I started working on this book, I was full of self doubt about it. Constantly. I thought, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> this is a bad idea, you know, nobody's going to care about the, all the things, which is basically resistance with a capital R. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say to anybody that's started working on something in the early stages and full of self-doubt, keep going, you know, yeah. which I tell myself every time because I'm always full of self-doubt. Just keep going. And at some point, I did finally say to myself, you know, maybe this will help people, this book, you know, maybe it's not just me being an egomaniac telling you know my dumb stories but maybe this you know this ordeal that i went through yeah. will inspire somebody else so then i i stopped having the doubt and that was probably close to a year in because you know wow. i'd ask him every once in a while how's it going i didn't pester him about it but sometimes he'd be like you know i don't i don't know i don't know how to write this book i don't know how to do this uh nobody's going to care about this it was and then I remember when he was like, oh, I, I feel like it's turning, I feel like it's turning into something. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've gotten a handle on a little bit of what I want to say or how I want to say it. And he was like, it's not like a straightforward memoir or autobiography. So I don't know if people are going to get it. And I'm like, it doesn't really matter if anybody yeah. else gets how you want to tell your story, you know? Yes. Yeah. It Honestly, Diana and Steve, it brought me a lot of peace reading Government Cheese. Uh, as why, someone, why is that, Jonathan? Just if you don't mind my asking, why? No, uh, it um, solidarity. I, I read uh, the, I read your story, you know, and I would not be a writer if it weren't for Gates of Fire and War of Art and so many of these other amazing works that you've done. But I read your story. And I identify with it. I see myself in, you know, the the times where commitment didn't work or the times where I screwed it up or I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get this to work or I couldn't figure this out or my heart just wasn't in something. And, 
and detonated it somehow, you know, or, mm. or I had to follow my passions, you know, and do something like, you know, like with you in the legend of Bagger Vance walking away from, you know, your, your screenwriting career, you know, and, um, it really brought me a lot of peace about my own failures or perceived inadequacies yeah. in light of, you know, seeing you go through this journey and it helped me understand myself more. Oh, great. Oh, good. So, good. I'm glad. And, and, and I'm dumb. So there are plenty of people out there who are way smarter who will, <laughs> you know, and kind of as an aside to that, uh, or, or along with that, the very first time we interviewed you, uh, you told us about that, you know, 27 28 year period mm -hmm. that you were writing 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 before your first book was ever published and i'd never i had never heard that before and i now reading about that period of time you know it makes me realize that i'm not i'm i'm inspired to give the process its due uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah and i've cheated myself in some ways yeah. by taking some shortcuts yeah and uh, I got to keep going. I got to keep keep after it, yeah. and keep mm. and, and keep growing. And uh, so it was kind of convicting to me, which is a good thing. Oh, that's good. So, By so way, thank you uh, again. Robert Greene's book, Mastery. I recommend this to anybody. Um, Green with an E at the end. Yeah. Um, really good on the same sort of subject, but from a, you know, maybe a broader intellectual way, not an actual story of an individual just about the whole sort of concept of going from knowing nothing to knowing something yeah. you know, over a long period with a lot of setbacks and, and a lot of um, dead ends. Hey, if you guys have been enjoying this interview and you'd like to hear the rest of it, including some really down and dirty stuff that we're not allowed to say here on YouTube, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash the goslings. We'd love to have your support there and share exclusive content with you that's right keep it cool and remember these are interviews that strike down the dark they do indeed strike down that's the right. darkness they strike down all the darkness that's right strike it down hard so hard so hard.